All right, so this morning we begin a new series. Actually, it should probably be better described as a new study of the book of Philippians. And one of the overarching themes in the book of Philippians is joy. So I also just have to give a disclaimer. Y'all know me. There will probably be some mini-series or mini-messages in between there, maybe something related to the holidays, but we will begin a journey walking through the book of Philippians. Can anybody tell me what I hold? I know I should have put it on the screen. Can anybody tell me, take a guess at what I hold in my hand? Notes? All right, good. It's a piece of paper. And it is a, oh, sorry, I was in the shadows, so you might be able to see a little bit better. This is a letter that my dear wife wrote me on March the 17th, 2001. She was in Charlotte with her aunt and probably soon-to-be uncle. And it's written on Howard Johnson Stationery. Hey, sweetie, can I tell you where I am? Draws a little arrow to Howard Johnson. I really miss you. I, I won't. Bo- I won't. Y'all are trying to maintain your breakfast. I won't read you any more of it. <clears throat> it was kind of sappy, but listen. Have you ever written a letter to someone you love? Have you ever written a letter to someone you love? I mean, now kids are under you know. 20 crowd, back in the day, you used to pull out a piece of paper and a pen and you would do this. You didn't have Snapchat. You didn't have texting. That's, what, that's the way we communicated back then, right? But, but this morning as we begin a study of the book of Philippians, Philippians is a, re- a letter written by a missionary to a church. Right? And as we read this letter, it's going to be apparent that you can see the love and the connection that they had between them. So I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word, whether in physical form or on your app, and I want to invite you to turn to the book of Philippians. So past Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. And while you're turning there this morning, we need to kind of set the tenor and the tone and begin to understand where we are in the text, where we are in the book of Philippians, because we typically look at things with our Americanized eyes and our worldview, but what's really happening and what's really going on where we're diving, because that helps us to understand what's really happening. So first and foremost, Philippi is in eastern Macedonia. It's the modern-day northeastern Greece. They, there was a close connection with Rome, so much so that they were called Little Rome. Now, what's interesting here, if you're a student of your Bible, and I'm, I'm thankful that I was reminded of this, if you're taking notes this morning, go back this week and read Acts chapter 16. And what I find fascinating about Scripture is there, it's always interconnecting itself. Something that, and, and that's how it happens in our lives as well, that something that happens over here is not by happenstance, but it correlates to something that's going to happen later. And today I want you to see the connection between Acts chapter 16 and Philippians chapter 1. And so what we see here is Paul went on his second missionary journey. He visits the city of Philippi. He's preaching and teaching the gospel. And it was there that Lydia was saved, the the seller of purple, uh, purple goods. And so what's fascinating about Lydia, Acts 16, 14, is one of my favorite verses of Scripture. It says what? That the Lord opened Lydia's heart to receive the word which Paul would bring. All i got to do is bring the word that God's given me, and it's up to God to open the hearts. Amen? I can't change anybody. You can't change anybody. We need to be praying that God would open hearts just like he did Lydia. That's a great 
reminder this morning. So God opens Lydia's heart. Lydia is saved. Then we see also in Acts chapter 16 that there is a liberation of a demon-possessed slave girl. Now let me put a quick little asterisk there. Listen, this still applies today. When people are liberated and bondage is broken, not everybody's going to be excited. When God is moving in the church and lives are being redeemed, not everybody's going to be for you. Not everybody's going to be for that. Why do we say that? Because what we see in Acts chapter 16 is the slave girl, this demon-possessed slave girl, is redeemed. And so her owner loses income, then there's a riot, and Paul is thrown in jail. But he kept preaching. And if you remember there in the text... That, that at the midnight hour, what, that there was an earthquake, and it was there that the Philippian jailer and his whole family was saved. And from there, a church was spon- spontaneously birthed. So Paul is writing a letter to this church with all these things that just happened. This is the church that he's writing to. This is the church that, he, that God used him to help birth. You see the connection? You see the love that they would have for one another? And so we'll see that in the text. We'll see that play out this morning. So let's look, and we're not even going to get all the way through verse 1. So we might get through Philippians before Jesus comes back. I don't know, but we'll, we'll just keep preaching and teaching his word till he does or calls us home. Amen? So let's look together at Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Now again, I give you that scripture reference, but remember you're reading a letter. You're reading a letter. Take the chapter and verses out of it. You're reading a letter. Paul is pinning these words, and we see this. You'll find this, these similar words in your copy of God's Word. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. So, so what's interesting here today, if you and I were to write a letter, typically we'll write a letter, and at the end we'll sign it respectfully, in love, your brother. Maybe you might begin to do as I did. I ran across an old document of my grandfather's who was also a pastor, and he would sign he, whatever I found that day. It was something. It was actually a bulletin. And in there, he signed it, and I sign it from time to time too because it's true. And he signed it this way, a man for whom Christ died. That, that kind of tells somebody a lot, amen? When you, when you sign a document that way, a man for whom Christ died, died. So typically we put our name at the end. In Paul's day and time, he's stating up front, he's saying, hey, it's Paul and Timothy. We're back again. No, anyway, um, we're Paul and Timothy. And so he's setting the tone for, for who's writing this message. And he says that we're servants of Christ Jesus. And so as I was studying today, as I was studying this week, If you were to introduce yourself, how would you introduce yourself? Insert your name, a blank of Jesus Christ. For me, Chris, a pastor of Jesus Christ. A a, a believer of Jesus Christ. How about for you? A disciple of Jesus Christ. But like Chris Plant, right? Chris might say, well, Chris stole, no, we can't use that. All right, but like Chandler, Chandler, you know, Chandler, a golfer for Jesus, do, do, we see, do we see what we do in our everyday life as being for the glory of God? Because if you're a believer, you should. Do, do you see the task 
being unto the Lord and for the Lord and for his purposes. Because Paul later writes in Colossians chapter 3, we see these words. He penned, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And just a little bit later there in um, chapter 3, chapter 3, Verse 23 and 24, what do we see? Paul tells us, and he's reminding us today, whatever you do, work hardly as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see yourself as a servant of Jesus, of serving Christ? He's called us. And can I remind you this morning that he's called us all to ministry? You say, no, pastor, he's called you. You're a paid professional. No, I'm not a professional, right? We're not to be professionals. We're to be servants. He's called each and every one of you who believe in Christ. He's called you to ministry. Scripture tells us he's called you to the ministry of reconciliation. He's called you to a ministry of being his hands and his feet in the broken world. Because, listen, when you leave here today and you walk out of those doors, God will put people in your path and in your circle, and in your family, and in your influence that Austin and I will never meet. We have to stop seeing the church as just paid staff, and everyone begin to play their part within the body. Here at church, and when we leave. Now what I want you to see this morning is this really quickly. There's two key words that kind of bubbled to the top for me as I was studying. Relationships and radical. You'll see how the radical plays in in a moment. But first, let's look at the word relationships. I want you to see here, just in this opening statement that Paul is making, that he says this. He says, Paul and Timothy. There you go. There's Paul and Timothy. Servants of Christ Jesus. So there's Paul and Timothy together. There's Paul with a relationship with Jesus. There's Timothy with a relationship with Jesus. And then he says to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, it's Paul and the church. So, so you, you see what I'm saying? you got Paul and Timothy. you got Paul and the church. You have Paul and Christ. If, if I was writing this, if I was writing a letter, I might say Chris and Austin, servants of Christ Jesus. I might say Chris and Kendall, servants of Christ Jesus. But what I've come to ask you today, that this passage we see with Paul and Timothy, whom are you serving alongside? Now, in my notes, I'm kind of country and not very uh, polished most of the time. So originally in my notes, I wrote who, but it's whom, thanks to my spell check. So for all you grammar people out there, I know you're happy. But whom are you serving alongside? Your spouse? Do you have a Timothy? Do you have a Paul that you're serving alongside of? We're meant for relationships. Go back to Genesis in the Garden of Eden. God created Adam, and he came and he said, What? It's not good for man to be alone. And he created for him a helper. We're meant for relationships. And starting this afternoon... And Wednesday and Thursday, there's an opportunity for you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus Christ and with other believers. Because we're meant for community. We're meant to be a part of the body, and we're not meant to be alone. What's interesting here is as I was studying, on Wednesday when we had our time of prayer and encouragement, we moved that to 
Wednesday mornings, by the way, to open up an opportunity to do some different things on Wednesday night. Praise God. Praise God for working through that group and them being willing to be flexible. And then you saw what happened. We took 10 or 12 that were coming and moved them to the, the morning, and then that opened up an opportunity for more people to come. I pray that people will. People will take a next step in their relationship with Christ to go deeper with Him and deeper with one another. But what's interesting is at that gathering, Gordon Hudson, who just was elected a deacon, coming on with Alex and Chris and Hans Swigert, Gordon reminded me of this. He says that the Lord deals with us in a relational way. That when we realize, and re- that way we realize and remember He is here with us. Right? Our relationships matter. The relationships that we have around us matter. First and foremost, our Heavenly Father, but then also our relationships around us. Because I've told you time and time again that the Lord speaks primarily through four ways. He speaks through His Word. He speaks through his spirit, he speaks through other people, and he speaks through our circumstances. Are we listening? Are we listening? See, here at the end of the day, here's the thing. The right relationship changes everything. I didn't say a right relationship. It is the right relationship. And it is a relationship with Jesus that changes everything. It changes everything. You say, well, what does it change, Chris? It changes this. It reorders your priorities. It changes your perspective, and it helps you live out your purpose. Each and every one of you were created for a purpose. You have a purpose. As we talked about earlier in that statement, insert your name, a mother for Christ a father for Christ, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a small group leader, a disciple maker. Insert whatever that adjective is that you want or noun there to, to, to explain who you are. But when we have a right relationship with Jesus, it reorders our priorities, it changes our perspective, and it helps us live out our purpose. Now what's interesting here. And I want to show you next in the text is Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Here's the deal. When we just read the Bible and we don't really sit down and slow down and and read portions and allow the Word of God to speak and, and study it with other people, we miss things. And what we miss here is what Paul is saying is radical. It is absolutely radical because, in essence, what he's really saying, he uses the Greek word here, doulos. And doulos is better translated as slave, a bondservant, a slave. I am a slave of Christ. Friends, what he was saying then and what Jesus is reminding us now is it is radical. It is radical. It's so radical. Listen, you cannot make this stuff up. You cannot make this stuff up. As I was studying and getting ready to print my notes, check out what my um, grammar tool said to me. It came up with a little, a, a little note on the side, and it said, because I wrote the word slave, because I wanted to point that out to you all. And it said, this may be considered dehumanizing towards people subjected to slavery. 
Consider changing the word or phrase. Suggestion, enslaved people. No, we're not enslaved people. Paul is calling us to be slaves of Christ. As Dabo Sweeney would say, that we're all in. That, that he owns us. That, that, that we're not our own. That we were bought with the price. Previously, Paul says he's an apostle. He's a prisoner. And in essence, what he's saying here, and we just miss as we just have occasional glance or read over the text, is it means that he's giving himself up to another's will. It's not my will, but it's your will be done. It's God's will. We, we belong to him and we exist to serve and to glorify him. Well, what's interesting here that we see in the text is this. I've got to go back to a nugget of wisdom I missed. So listen. When we have a solid relationship with God and His people, what we say and do will be radical to an onlooking world. Even then in His day, none of us want to be slaves. We want to be our own master. We want to be our own God. Go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Why did that stem from that? Why? If you eat eat of this fruit, you'll be like God. We want to be in control. It's in our nature. It's in our DNA. But we belong to him. We exist to serve him and to glorify him. And here Paul is setting up his remarks about the humility and service of Christ. What we see here is, um, I'm reminded of what Matthew says in Matthew 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right, that's the example that we've been given. Now here, later, eventually, maybe one day we'll get there, but in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's how much Jesus loves you and I. That's how much he loves you and I. And and what we miss is, like, we have crosses in our churches and around our necks, and you ladies wear them on your earrings and et cetera, whatever, and it's a beautiful thing. But in Jesus' day, the cross was an emblem of suffering and shame. It was not something that was beautiful. But just like an old rugged cross where Christ redeemed my sin and your sin, that's what he can do in and of our lives too, is he can take something that's broken He can take something that's ugly, and he can turn it into something that's beautiful. Will you allow him to do that? You you see here as Paul saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, slaves of Christ Jesus, that we're we're sold out to him, that that he owns us, and it's his will, his way, what he wants us to be doing, not what we want to do. You see, what we miss in this text is occasional glance over it, is that even though he's saying that they were slaves of Christ, that he counted it a privilege and a joy. It's a reminder that he was completely devoted to the Lord's service. Now, 
what I want you to see next is, in the text, we see Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ who are at Philippi. Listen, you are not a saint just because you simply show up. Hello? You're not a saint just because you simply show up. You are a saint because you have been made holy by Christ's redeeming work. You are set apart. You're being sanctified. You're being made into the image of Christ as you follow Him. What, what we see in Ephesians is Paul tells us something about this. He says, even though He, Christ, chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as the sons through, through Jesus Christ. Verse 7, in Him... Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. We do not deserve God's love. We do not deserve His grace, His mercy, His freedom, the liberation. We do not deserve any of that. What we deserve is hell. But God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. For He didn't send His, world, His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. It's not saved by walking an aisle. It's not saved by repeating a prayer that I tell you to pray. It's about the transforming power and presence of the Holy Spirit coming upon us into our lives rattling us the reckless love that we've talked about before in the past and sung about in the past. He loves you so much that he's chased you down and he wants to be a part of your life, but you're not allowing him to be. The only unpardonable sin in all of Scripture is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Y'all, Jesus is knocking. Will you open the door? I don't know how much longer he'll knock today in some of your hearts and minds. He's knocking. And he's saying, will you follow me? Just like the disciples. He's saying, come, follow me. I'll give you rest. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll give you life abundantly. But we must come and we must follow. Well, what's interesting here about being a saint, I appreciate the work of Boyd Bailey. He has a website called wisdomhunters.com, a great uh, devotional site that he and others write. And just this week, I read one of the devotionals in my quiet time. And Boyd said this. He said, you are a saint if you are a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Growing in Christ-likeness to be like him, full of grace and truth. Friends, that's what makes us a saint. It's not just simply showing up, but it's faithfully following Jesus. And so I've come to ask you another question I ran across as I was studying. How are you as a saint living a set-apart life? That, that's what it means. We're set apart for His glory. How are you living a set-apart life in what you pursue and what you refrain from? Prime example I gave the first service, and it was probably like, shoop. 
went right over their heads because they're not adapted with technology, most of them. Facebook. Facebook Reels. I love watching Facebook Reels. They're hilarious. They are a way that I relax. But what I want to remind you of is this, and one thing I've had to be reminded of is we don't have to go far looking for sin. We don't have to go far looking for perversity. Because though I enjoy watching them from time to time, most of the time I have to abstain because I don't know what the next one is going to say. So much so, I've been in a meeting here at church, and in between, or in between meetings, and we kind of had a few moments, and I was like, and I wanted to look at them. I'm like, nope, because I don't know what they're going to say next. And heaven forbid they say something, and one of these blessed senior saints in gray hair, she'd probably fall out and faint based off what they said. You know, what's the preacher listening to? But how are you living a life set apart? What you pursue and what you refrain from. You, you, have, to, you have to realize that. And I'm thankful for his spirit. And so though I like to, to watch those, I have to refrain. Because it puts things into my mind. Friends, what we see and what we hear, you can't take it back. I want to talk quickly how we can live this out. And so I want to talk about our relationships. So first and foremost, as we think about relationships today, I want to just simply remind you that they're worth investing in. That, that, that sometimes that they can become fractured and they can become broken. And though they become fractured, but though they become broken, there's something worthy to work on. And our relationships, what we miss is our relationships with Jesus and one another, ultimately Jesus, but with one another, are the things that sustain us in hard times. You know, just this week, I, I, as we enter Monday, I have some things that I have to work on. There's some, there's some conversations that I need to have about a relationship. There's something there that's broken. And I'm thankful for the people around me who have leaned into me. One which said this morning, she said, was what you said or did done in love? No, it wasn't. And so now I have to go back and try to call it what it was that I sinned. That I, I, I caused that wedge. And please forgive me. And, and I just want you to think about today, what relationship are you thankful for? What relationship are you thankful for? Because, listen, those relationships with our Father, our Heavenly Father, and those around us that we cherish, like Paul cherished Timothy, they should bring us joy. Notice, I didn't say happiness. They should bring us joy. That, that, that happiness is based on our emotions, and joy is based on our eternal security. It is based on something that cannot be shaken. So, so here's kind of another way we apply this. When you go out this week, I want you to ask someone, tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Because see, what we're asking is we're asking the wrong question. Tell me, where, where do you go to church? I've run into people and they say, oh, I go to Croswell Baptist. Oh, that's cool. I know Nathan over there. Hey, what? So then I'm just, I've played kind of devil's advocate. And I'm like, hey, who, who's the pastor? I don't, what's his name again? I'm like, yeah, that tells me how often you go. Right? So, so tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Hey, 
tell me about your relationship with your church. Oh, somebody say, hey, I'm not going to church. It's full of hypocrites. You're one too. Y'all are too. That's no reason to stop coming. Actually, Gordon called me after the end of the first service, and he said, you know, Chris, I heard from an old pastor, and he said, you know, I was talking to a guy, and he said, I'm not coming to church because that's full of hypocrites. And he looked at, and the guy looked at, the pastor looked at him and said, well, there's always room for one more. Right? There's always room for one more. Hey, listen, ultimately today, this is something I want you to think about. Tell me about your relationship with other believers. Like, get past the pleasantries. Oh, I know who he is. Y'all, we got people in this church who grew up here that don't even know each other. And they've gone here their whole life. That's an indictment on them, on us, or the culture that we're setting. And that begs the question, and, and, and I didn't know how it fit in the first service. I know how it fits now. Are we playing church or pleasing God? Are we playing church or pleasing God? Because for me, the time is nigh. I don't have time to play church. There are people when we walk out of these doors that you will see in your circle of influence, God will place in your path. They're dying and going to hell. Because hell is a literal and real place where people will wind up if they do not accept Christ. And we go out and we do our thing, but God has a design for His church for our lives. There's supposed to be structure. There's supposed to be sacrifice. There's supposed to be selflessness. Others before self. Y'all, you ain't gonna like this last one. Don't blame me. Blame God. I just wrote it down. I'm sharing it. There should be sin checks in our lives. Uh, Of that structure. There should be structure. There should be sacrifice. There should be selflessness. There should be sin checks. Maybe some of you need to begin to pray like the psalmist, Lord, create in me a clean heart. Lord, help me to see the sin that's hidden that I don't see that I need to confess to you. Here's the deal, y'all, and I close with this thought. That letter I have a Kindle, I don't know how it survived 20-plus years, three moves, and as y'all can tell, I'm not only a digital pack rat for Jesus, but I'm just a pack rat. I mean, 20 years, and it's in pretty good shape, amen? But listen, Jesus has written a love letter to you. Philippians is a part of that grand love letter that he's written to you. There's 66 books. There's 66 separate books that God has written his love letter to you. Now my question is, will you open it? Will you read it? Will you cherish it? Will you share it? And if you hear nothing else I say today, what we talked about, I've come this morning to remind you of this, that you are loved. That you're loved. And friends, when we forget, you're lo- when we forget we're loved, you lose your joy. When we forget we lo- we're loved, we, forget, we lose sight of whose we are and where we're headed. This is not our home. We're just pilgrims passing through on a pilgrimage. 
Y'all, relationships matter. Tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Tell me about your relationship with others. Invest in your relationship with Jesus. Invest in your relationship with others. Find joy in knowing Jesus and knowing community with other believers. There are five opportunities for you guys to take a next step this week into going deeper with God and one another. Will you sacrifice watching Madlock or The Price is Right or The Days of Our Lives? Man, all that's on demand. Watch it later. But come and find community with other believers. Go deeper in your faith. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the reminder this morning from Philippians that we're meant and and we're called to a relationship. We're called to to have a rock-solid relationship with you. Lord, we're called to to have relationships with one another. Lord, relationships aren't easy. They were everybody would have great, outstanding relationships. But the ones like Paul had for Timothy, Lord, that I have that love for Austin is because we're forged through the fire, those difficult conversations, those things in our lives to where we trust and lean into you and not our own understanding. God, it is there that you grow us as individuals, that you grow us deeper as believers, that you mold us and make us into the men and the women that you would have us to be. And so, Father, my prayer is this morning, Lord, there's someone here today that they would step into that relationship with you. They would realize the plan and the purpose that you, that they, that you have for their lives. Lord, I pray that If they haven't had a great relationship, Lord, I pray they would begin to take steps into a deeper relationship with you, a deeper relationship with each other, because we weren't meant to go at life alone. Father, I don't know what you want to do in this time, but as we close with this song, Father, if there's one that needs to be remain seated, there's one that needs to come to the front and, and to pray here in these front pews, these front chairs, Father, I pray that they would come. Lord, Father, have your way. Have your way in our hearts.